Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. One of the great names in football history is Glenn Pop Warner. We love how he was a player and a coach, a great innovator. And today, FootballArchaeology.com's Tim Brown joins us to tell us about Warner in his first year of coaching as a member of the Cornell Big Red. We have Tim's story and more coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And talking about football history, we are going into football archaeology mode because it's Tuesday, and Timothy P. Brown is here to visit with us once again to talk about one of his fantastic posts that he puts out each and every day. Tim, welcome back to the Pig Pen. Hello, Darren. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to chatting once again. This every Tuesday is really quite remarkable. Love hearing about your tidbits. You know, get to see your tidbits each and every day, but having a conversation about them once a week is really an amazing thing. Takes you a little bit more in-depth. Some other great facts that uh, you have through your research on some of these tidbits. And today you're going to talk about one of my favorite people in football, Glenn Pop Warner, who uh, was born probably about an hour away from where I live, uh, south of Buffalo, not too far from Erie. And, uh, you know, I love Pop Warner stories and he has so many great ones and, you know, coached all over the, the country. So this one's a, a really interesting one from one of his early years that uh, love to hear about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, Pop Warner's, yeah, just kind of a, a fascinating, uh, fascinating character. Um, and so, you know, love him as well. But um, so, yeah, I think this is this is another one of these where you know, we bring certain assumptions to our view of football here in, you know, the 2020s that just were not the case back in the 1890s when this story is based. And so the, the key point there is that uh, with Pop Warner being one of the guys like this, but, you know, before 1900, for sure. And then even after that, um, a lot of people, a lot of you know young men ended up on college campuses who had never played football before and yet who went out for the football team so you know if you lived out east and you were going to harvard or yale or something like that well chances are you probably attended some kind of prep school and they had a long history of football you know they started playing fairly early on but if you were from you know small town kansas or minnesota they might have played and they might not you know, I mean, there were cert- there was certainly football going on in the smallest and remotest of towns, 
but there was a lot of places where they just they just weren't playing yet. Um, so you know you'd be aware of the game. You'd it'd be in your local newspaper, um, but you may not have ever played. And so a, a lot of really top notch athletes showed up on campus, um, not having any football experience. And so part of the coach's job was to figure out how to get those guys to to join the team and try. And and so you know. We, we've talked in the past about the alums who would come back and help coach. And a lot of that was they were teaching entirely, you know, they were teaching guys who had never played the game before. How do you block? How do you tackle? How do you get out of your stance? All the stuff that, you know, most people now learn in youth football or as freshmen in high school or sophomores in high school, whatever it may be, you know, they were, they had to pick, pick up those skills as, as freshmen uh, in college. So, you know, the article is basically about him and the challenge of, you know, trying to get at the time he was coaching at Cornell. He was, he had gone to Cornell uh, and played four years. And then I think he was gone for a year and came back at the time that, you know, this, this story occurred, but um, you know, he's trying to figure out how do I get all these guys to, to join and then to get them schooled up in order to, uh, you know, to field a good team. And so, you know, he was commenting that a lot of times back then they used to call like the, the, the talent level, they would call it the material. We have fine material, but it's inexperienced. Right. Um, and so that was his, his thing. And, you know, another piece of that was that, that was just interesting is in that particular, particular, particular year, he would, he had an athlete who had played, center in the past and he was considering having the guy play left halfback or right halfback and it was like okay how many times today nowadays in a college setting do you have one player and you're going should i play him at center or halfback right i mean that just doesn't happen nowadays you know the body types have morphed and training and all that kind of stuff um but but back then, I mean, that was just a kind of a normal everyday thing. And unfortunately for the guy, he ended up playing center. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so, you know, I think it's just that, um, you know, our thinking, you know, now we live in this world where these kids are recruited. You know, I mean, they're heavily recruited and they've, you know, there's game film. You know, there's plenty of film on every high school kid that's out there you know, nowadays. Um, and so, you know, but then it was like, you just, you called for, you know, you had tryouts, you called for everybody to come and join the team. And it was whoever was there, it was there. Right. And, you know, you, you would often have some guy who was a star fullback or quarterback or tackle the previous year that for whatever reason, financial or whatever, just didn't show up the next year. You know, the coaches wouldn't know <laughs> necessarily. You know, they wouldn't have a whole lot of advance notice. It'd just be like, oh, Bill didn't show up this year, so we got to find somebody else to play tackle. You know, so just the, you know, the kind of manpower planning and uh, depth charts that we think of today. Well, it uh, might be turning back to that with the transfer portal because it seems like somebody's leaving constantly on teams and yeah. new people are coming in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, just for one of, I'm all for it. 
just, I mean, I, I may not like what it's doing to the game, but to the individual kids, I'm all for it. You know, I mean, they, I'm glad they get to go wherever they can go. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, the, th- the, the center versus halfback thing is interesting just because, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, centers were pretty good athletes back then, you know, meaning, you know, they were more like halfback or, you know, fullback type guys. Uh, a lot of times teams pulled centers or, you know, expected them to do some special stuff. Um, you know, so they had to be pretty darn good athletes, but not a whole lot of, uh, not a whole lot of guys shifting from O-line to the backfield these days. High school level, sure. Right. But it was a a single platoon football back in that era too. So, you know, they could use their athleticism at the center on defense, which we call a nose guard today, Uh, you know, shooting gaps or whatever they had to do, wording off, you know, to get a tackle. So, and it takes some certain athleticism to, uh, you know, rules were different than two to to get the ball snapped without uh, getting your head knocked off too. I'm sure you had to be pretty quick at that. So I I can see where the, the transition is on that. That was, a, that was a fascinating point of that. But you know, something I really took out of that, it's sort of, uh, you know, like I said, I uh, I like to read about Pop Warner. And I don't know that I've ever remember this story. And it's sort of, uh, you know, his humble beginnings. You know, I'm, you know, most of us are used to Pop Warner, you know, developing, you know, a complicated single wing offense and the double wing and you know, all these innovations he, he brought into football. But just to sit there and think about the man, uh, you know, taking having to take football at the very fundamentals and teach somebody that's not familiar with the game and, you know, putting them out there on a Saturday to, to play as a, maybe a, a starting center or halfback or whatever. Uh, you know, it's just kind of an interesting aspect of the guy of the band and probably all coaches at that time had to do something like that or they couldn't, you know, have their schemes all in play until they got the people up to speed. So. Yeah. Well, and I, th- but, and to your point, I think the, the fact that um, Cornell wasn't the only school in that position, right? I mean, all their opponents or many of their opponents anyways, were in the same kind of situation where, you know, they had a bunch of guys that had never played before. So, and, you know, I mean, that was one of the reasons why the freshman rule you know, worked to their advantage. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, so it's, um, you know, Warner was just, uh, you know, he grew up in, like, as you said, I can't think of the name of town, but small town, you know, Western New York state. Uh, Spr- Springville, New York. Yeah. And, uh, and he was just a big dude, you know, I mean, he was, so he showed up on campus and they were like, Hey, he started his first game, you know, and he didn't know what he was doing. Uh, but he started just cause he was just, you know, pretty thick, you know, a sort of guy, maybe not the tallest man in the world, but you know, big, thick dude. And so they, you become a lineman that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to look it up. Cause I, you know, you may just maybe think, I think park H Davis is on that same area. He's from Jamestown, New York, which is, not too far. I wonder if they ended up ever playing against each other, or if they were in, maybe they weren't the same years of uh, playing high school. Ball yeah. I think da- Davis, well, Davis would have been at, at Princeton in the 1880s, right. And early nineties. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's quite a bit older or, than, than Warner. Then. Yeah. Cause okay. you know, Warner showed up at Cornell at like 91, 92, something in that range. Um, so I think, you know, Davis is just that much um, 
just that much older because he was he was coaching Lafayette when um, Fielding Yost you know was the ringer for right. him, you know against Penn. That's that's true. Yes, he's probably so, good fifteen years older than than Warner Penn yeah. probably. Well, there goes that fantasy. I've yeah. seen those two. Well, I mean, I, head and, head head. I love st- the stories about, you know, guys who grew up in the same areas or, um, you know, even if it's cross sports, but, you know, guys who knew one another or, you know, those kinds of stories and, you know, just the connections that you, you just normally don't think about. So it's just, it's kind of fun. fun yeah, that so, way. so, you know, real, real fascinating, you know, from Cornell to Carlisle, the Pitt, the Stanford, you know, Pop Warner was all across the country and, had a lot of success everywhere he went and a pretty interesting guy and pretty humble guy to, to sit there and uh, pick out athletes and, and teach them how to play the game. So I guess uh, it's very aptly named the, uh, the junior football today. Most of them are called pop Warner football. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Another great tidbit, Tim. We, we really appreciate that. And uh, that you share these with us each and every day and the listeners uh, you know, there's a way for you too to, to, pick up on Tim's tidbits and get a copy of them uh, sent to you too. And Tim will explain that to us right now. Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you're interested, just go to footballarchaeology.com and uh, down at the bottom of most of the pages, you know, just to, you can um, click on it and subscribe. And if you subscribe, you're going to get an email every evening at seven o'clock and then a couple, couple of others here and there. Uh, you know, basically it's just whatever, whatever got published that day shows up in your inbox. And so you can, you know, read them at your leisure. Um, I also, uh, everything I post, I, I'm still putting out on Twitter. And so if that's your way of receiving, you know, various forms of news like this, then, um, you know, follow me on Twitter, but, you know, best thing is probably just to, to do that, to su- subscribe and make your life easier and more, much, much more pleasant. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, footballarchaeology.com is it's a great site, and it's also a great conduit to uh, get to some of Tim's books he has out. You know, he has his most recent one, Hut Hut Hike, with some football terminology, uh, and one of my old standbys, you know, How Football Became Football. You know, it's a great read, and uh, about especially learning about early college football, and I highly recommend both those books uh, to anybody interested in it for be a, a fascinado of uh, football history because uh, Tim does a great job on that. So, hey, Tim, thanks a lot Thank for you. joining us here again, and uh, and we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Okay, looking forward to it. Thank you, Darren. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.